And went Naaman down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but only to the Lord. I always found the healing of Naaman to be a fascinating story, worthy of reflection. Three parts to it I particularly want to look at tonight and just think about. The first is the character of Naaman himself and his interaction with others, particularly with his servants. But secondly is Elisha's response to him and the process of the healing. But the third thing is the character of Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, and his behavior. In some ways, the story is a little bit like reading the prodigal son, that parable where there's the main story that we often think about, and then there's this extra bit of the elder brother. And there are definitely echoes of that in Gehazi. Naaman's presented as an exceptional commander, He's honored by his king, by those who know him. The language is is most flattering in that way. On the one hand, they think well of him, but there's also this strange line that the Lord had granted much success to him or through him. As you read through the Old Testament, you ought not to be surprised to have noted that the Syrians are regularly at odds with Israel, even within this book. Even in the next chapter, the Syrians are coming at war with Israel, but the Lord is doing things in his, through his life. And there are those times in the Old Testament where we have a mystery that's hinted at, that's opened up at times a little bit for us, that we're getting part of the story of human history. You know, you can think about this when you're doing the genealogies, right? back in the early stages of Genesis. We get a part of the story. There are all kinds of other things that are going on that aren't part of what we're being given. We are following God's plan through that messianic line to redeem the world, to redeem the human race. But it's not only Israel that he has dealings with. It's not only Israel he cares about. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And every now and again, we're reminded that he's doing things in and through other nations, sometimes directly involving Israel. Another kingdom will rise up to punish Israel for their own sins, or a different kingdom will rise up to defend them, to set them free from an oppressor. But the Lord is at work in all of that. If you go to Luke chapter 4, and Jesus speaking of fulfilling the words of Isaiah 61, he goes on in response to the reactions he's getting to point to times in which God has shown his mercy to people outside of Israel. And one of the stories he tells or refers to is that of Naaman the leper, a sign that God's mercy is at work out there. Well, he's at work in and through Naaman, There's something of his character that is laudable and praiseworthy. 
I said, I'm thinking particularly about his relation to his servants. There is in his household this little Hebrew maid. It's noted that she's been carried off in one of the raids, so she's a slave that they've taken in their battles. And yet, and yet, she cares about her master. She is smitten by his condition, saying, if only, you know, would God that that he could go to the prophet in Israel and be, be healed of his leprosy. This little servant girl, who's really a slave in the household, yet cares about her master. But more than that, when that word comes and it gets to Naaman, he's listened to it. He takes some note of that. That's one glimpse of it. I don't know how the word came exactly to him. Uh, the, The girl is talking to his wife. Is it somebody else who overheard it and passed it on? Did his wife pass it on? Which again would be some mark in his favor that he would actually listen to his his wife and her advice in these matters. But another mark of his character and of the esteem in which he's held is that the king right away says, look, I can send you to the king of Israel. I'll send a letter with you. You know, we'll get this sorted out. I don't know what expense might be involved in that trip, but he presumes upon his own authority, sends the letter to Israel. We do see that Naaman has a temper when he runs into things with Elisha and he doesn't get what he expected. He's leaving in a huff and there's indication that he's quite upset about that, sputtering about, you know, you expect me to walk in that dirty Israelite creek. We've got these wonderful rivers back home. Why couldn't I wash in them and be clean? But even then, his servants come to him and speak to him. On the one hand, he listens to them. On the other hand, it says something about how they are in his presence that they would be so bold as to speak up. Because they're bringing him up short and saying, "Um, Master, Father... (laughs) If he'd given you something difficult to do, you would have done it. You're that kind of a warrior. This is simple. Why don't you try it? And again, he listens to them and he does it. He feels a little foolish going and doing it, perhaps, because it's not just go down and wash in the water. It's seven times. But lo and behold, he's healed. And you imagine his amazement at that point. It really touches his heart. It's not just that he's impressed. When he comes back, he he wants to give gifts to Elisha. But even when the prophet won't receive them, he's got to say, I will from now on worship no God but the God of Israel. On the one hand, he seems to be looking at him as a tribal God. You know, there's no God but in Israel. And yet, he lays hold of this God and whatever he can give him, he's going to worship him. Actually fascinating, this idea that he's going to take two mule loads of earth. I have no idea how much a mule load of earth is, but that's kind of when they sell topsoil by the yard and all. I, I just have no conception immediately what how much that is. But he's going to bring that home so that that's the ground on which he will worship. It's going to be that sign for him. He's going to bring in some sense something of this holy land of Israel to be in his land so that he can worship 
the God. There is no God in all the earth but in Israel. It's quite a conversion in his heart to move that way. Although we've got that little side bet. You know, my master's still going to worship his God. And I'm his right-hand man, so can you forgive me when I have to go into the temple with him and he's going to lean on me? And as he leans on me, I'm going to bow. It's not worship. It's not worship because I'm only going to worship the true God. But the character of this man, there is a humility before the servants. There's a humility before God. I have no idea what leprosy meant for the Syrians. We know that in Israel to be stricken with leprosy means isolation under the law. It's a disease accordingly, not just of the body, but it affects the the social life. It affects the spiritual life. It comes between you and God. It's a humiliating sign. This man seemed to be going on with his business, still highly regarded, but still to be set free. And the language again, thinking even of this morning and just the sense of the new birth in the Lord, the description that his flesh was like the flesh of a, of a child. What about the healing itself? He comes to the place, well, there's an interesting dynamic going on before that. The letter comes from the, the king of Syria. It comes with Naaman, but it comes to the king of Israel. Now, I don't know how much track you keep of who's where at this stage in the story, but King Ahab and Jezebel are now gone, but it's their son who's on the throne, Jehoram. He does not have a particularly good relationship with Elisha. In fact, we get a story in here where he and Jehoshaphat of Judah go seeking a prophet of the Lord. They're going to go against Moab and they arrive at Elisha and Elisha says, what are you doing here? Understand that if you had come on your own, I wouldn't have spoken to you. I'm only coming out to see you because the king of Judah is here. They're not on really good terms. And when the message comes to him, King Jehoram is is pretty distressed. Well, what the heck is this? Who does he think I am? You know, I'm God to make alive and to kill. Uh, you know, he's trying. see, he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. He's looking for a battle. I guess they had peace for a little while between them. But the word gets to Elisha and he picks it up and says, send him to me. He will see that there is a prophet in Israel. Naaman comes with his entourage. He's a great commander. He's a a proud man, an honored man before his people. And he gets to the door and a servant comes out and says, my master says, go and dip seven times in the Jordan. I don't know. Maybe any of us would be rather put out by that. I mean, shouldn't he come out and greet me? Shouldn't he at least do something? You know, wave his hand over the spot, utter some magic words, do something. What is this? What is this? And he goes off in a huff. He's, he's insulted. He's frustrated. He thought he was going to receive something. He gets nothing. But then, as I spoke of, the servants are at work. Interesting, as we go through Scripture, the number of times that God 
brings about his miracles, his healings, his wonders, when there is simple obedience and often in things that don't make any sense. Why are we filling stone water jars with water? There's no wine. Why are we filling up jars with water? Do whatever he tells you to do. Now draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. They're good servants. They just do what they're told to do. They don't question. Disciples bringing their loaves and fishes to Jesus. And him, after the blessing and breaking, giving it to them and saying, now go and distribute. You know, that story looks one way if you imagine that when he blessed, that suddenly there was this abundance of loaves. But that's not in the description. It's just that they begin to distribute. And as they draw out, there's more there. Which is in keeping with what some of us have seen at times in our lives. It's in keeping with what happened under Elisha, as well as under Elijah, with the woman with the oil that is all that she has, but it gets poured out, and the more it's poured, the more there is to pour. The flower that's drawn out, the more that's drawn out, the more there is, but one has to act in that simple obedience. Seven times the dipping. Just do it. Just do it. Just do what God says to do and see what he brings. The obedient action and the healing takes place. You would have performed the difficult. Why not? Why not do what is simple? The healing is stunning and it's irrefutable. Everyone knows his state. Everyone can see the change that takes place. I don't know what effect it had back home in Syria. I say in the next chapter, Syria is coming up in warfare against Israel. But it does work in Naaman's heart at that point. And frankly, what I've already said about Jehoram and the state of things in Israel, they're a mess. And they doubtless, this is God at work in what's brought up against them anyway. Which brings us to the last part of the story and Gehazi, the servant. Elisha's pretty clear. This isn't about my glory, it's about God's glory. It's not about my gain, it's about the Lord acting and His mercy and the worship of God. He will take nothing else. But Gehazi, I don't know whether it's his greed in going out, I don't know how much he longs after what what could have been received. It may be that he and his master live in some poverty, Maybe it's just that he's really put out. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes uh, you think of the parable of the, the workers in the vineyard where you know they're all being paid the fair wage and those who get paid first get what they agreed to but afterwards when they see that those who were hired at the 11th hour get the same, they're really out of sorts. They were satisfied with the fair wage until they saw what the others had. How much is Gehazi upset that the Syrian would get this gift from God? Well, we know some of the stories that are there. Remember Jonah, when the Lord delivered the Ninevites. Nineveh, if you follow the history, are fierce enemies of Israel as well. 
the Syrians are going to come up against them and there's great suffering that will come. How much does he think about that? How much does he resent God's grace, his mercy at work? Every now and again, every now and again, as we look around at other people, we resent some of what God is doing. How can you give that to him? You know, why not to me? Did I not deserve it more? What we do know is that Gehazi went out, and as happens when you're going your own way, I don't know what he was going to do with what he had. (laughs) He hides it, and when he's confronted like Cain, he lies. He, He has to cover it up. Where have you been? I haven't been anywhere. Did I not go with you? Was my heart not there when that chariot turned? When you receive those things, is this the time for that? Is this what this is all about? We don't hear that other part of it, but what happened in Naaman's life? He was turned to worship the true God. Isn't that what this is about? Is this not about God's glory? And there's something of a parable at the end of that, that it's it's about that mercy of God at work the ones who are outside of his mercy as they turn in obedient faith to him, as they respond to his word, see God's grace at work and hearts are changed. When those who are God's own turn away from him, let the self-will get in the middle, they lose the very gifts that they had. Romans 2, verse 26, So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then those who are physically uncircumcised but keep the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For he is not a real Jew who is one outwardly, nor is true circumcision something external and physical. He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and real circumcision is a matter of the heart, spiritual and not literal. His praise is not from men, but from God. Reminded again and again that we are those who come from outside of God's mercy, who come out of that same Gentile world. Well, not necessarily Syrians, but we've heard the call in Jesus Christ to turn in that humble obedience, to turn in worship to him to hear his word and to respond. And as we do, he by his grace heals us of that leprosy of sin and makes us Christ's own. Let us walk with him in humility of heart and true thanksgiving. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Let the whole earth stand in awe of him.